Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hello, lovely listener. This is Ben. This is a small voice podcast featuring conversations with photographers. Welcome along to episode 49. How's it going? All good? I sincerely hope so. Before I introduce this week's guest, a little bit of housekeeping. This is something that I'm normally either jokingly dismissive of or that I gloss over or ignore totally, mainly out of faint embarrassment. And I've realised how stupid that is because by doing that, I'm giving you permission to not take it seriously either, to ignore it effectively. And that is the very opposite of what I'm hoping to achieve. As you'll know, especially if you listen regularly, this podcast is an advertising-free zone. And I'd like to think that sooner or later, I will be able to attract sponsorship from advertisers that will enable me to continue doing it, because it takes up time that I really ought to be dedicating to earning a living, something that I'm largely failing to do these days. In the meantime, the podcast will have to remain a labour of love. However, if you find it valuable, if you enjoy it, or if you derive any benefit or inspiration from hearing these conversations with amazing photographers, which I work tirelessly to bring you every fortnight, please consider supporting that effort to whatever degree you find it valuable. I'm not entirely sure, still, how many listeners I have, but I know that about eight wonderful people chip in a tiny contribution every month, and that is obviously a minuscule percentage of my total audience. Now, I am painfully aware, of course, that unfortunately, the way in which online content has evolved over the years has led us all to expect certain content to be free. And because of that expectation, it is free. But I would ask you to reconsider that viewpoint because it is total bollocks in many ways. If you were to sign up on the website at bensmith.com slash a small voice for a monthly recurring donation of £5, that would mean that you're getting each of these podcasts for less than the price of a cup of coffee. And much as I like coffee myself, I would like to think that the value these chats are delivering to you for an hour or so a fortnight are at least equal to and usually much greater than anything that a cup of coffee can provide, even an artisanal single estate hand roasted in small batches, flat white adorned with latte worthy of Cezanne by a young man with a retro haircut, a huge beard and a full sleeve from the family business. So the place to go for this is bensmithphoto.com slash a small voice. Click on the subscribe box where there's even an option to donate £3 a month, which, let's face it, is pretty close to nothing. And that will take you to a PayPal page. You do not need a PayPal account. There's a link which reads pay using your debit or credit card. That is all, folks. That is all. My guest this week is Annie Collinge. Annie started her career partway through her degree at Brighton University at the tender age of 17, assisting esteemed portrait photographer Harry Borden. She went on to work extensively in the editorial world for publications such as Vice, Dazed, Pilot and The Guardian. She has simultaneously worked on various personal projects which tend to straddle the increasingly opaque divide between documentary and fine art practice. She's had various solo shows, including at the Underwater Mermaid Theatre at the Ogden Museum of Southern Art in New Orleans, a project which we discuss in the interview. Her work has been included twice in the Taylor Wessing Portrait Prize show and she's twice won the Magenta Foundation's Flash Forward Award. Her most recent project, which is one of the main things I wanted to ask her about, but which nevertheless I somehow completely managed to forget, is provisionally entitled Buzz of a Dead Bee. It's a miniature gallery based in a doll's house antique shop 
and it launches late in 2017. The gallery will stage miniature exhibitions by a variety of artists and will change location according to which artist is showing in it. And the project is a comment on how costly it is for artists and photographers to stage exhibitions, since on the internet it doesn't actually matter that the work created for it is on a small scale. So apologies for dropping the ball on that one. All I had to do was glance down at my scrawled notes before concluding the interview, but what can I tell you? Sometimes I panic. Please enjoy my chat with Annie Collinge. <laughs> this is going to be really embarrassing. No, I'm going to have not heard of anyone. But, I mean, everyone's, you know, operating in a slightly different area. I mean, I guess, yeah, well, this is what's interesting in a way because um, you realise that, you know, we've all, we've all come from different places photographically and, and like all those people, you know, magnum photographers, documentary photographers, obviously people who are very familiar to me, whose work is familiar to me. Um, but there's loads of people who you know other people love who I'd, i've never heard of um so you know it's horses of course it's i had you pegged uh, as a as a sort of portrait photographer in a way and then i realized you're not you're actually you're much more of a, of a fine art photographer i mean really you're you're an artist you know who takes pictures how do you see yourself mm, that's kind of a difficult question <laughs> i know because i guess i'm i would probably say exactly what you said like I'm sort of a mixture because I started out doing portraits, but now I'm interested in portraits that are like, um, that I've controlled them in some way. I've kind of art directed them. So that's kind of like, I'm interested in things that are real and also a bit fake Mm. together. So that's why I like pictures of like unusual looking people that I've art directed rather than like taking a picture of a model or... Yeah, so you're one of these people who's sort of kind of on the on some kind of cusp between categories. Yeah, I which think is that's fine. always been where I've been, and I think sometimes people haven't understood where to to put you to place me. So it's a difficult place to be in yeah, a way. Yeah, because I'm not a fashion photographer, and I'm not a uh, I'm not exactly a portrait photographer. I mm. have shot a lot of portraits, and you've and done a fair bit of editorial. Yeah. Stuff. No, no, I mean, I still I still enjoy doing portraits for editorial, but I kind of, I really like it when I can kind of control it. I find it quite difficult to turn up in an office and take a picture of a businessman. I can do it, mm. but I prefer to have more, I prefer to pre-plan things a bit more. Yeah. So think about like, um, you know, how or think about props or backgrounds or whatever. Mm, mm, mm. So how did you start out? So. Hold on, let me just move that mic. Oh, should I? No, I'll do it. It's fine. I just have to lower it. I went to see Cat Power last night and she was, she kept like fiddling with the mic mm. the whole time. Like, I think it was like a nervous, <laughs> nervous energy. Yeah, I've seen that happen. With her, and they're kind of wrestling. No, oh no, yeah, but she's got lots of nervous ticks, hasn't she? she? Yeah, I've got got some cat power a lot. Yeah, I've had a strange experience with cat power. (laughs) What happened with cat power? Oh, just on a portrait shoot with her. Oh yeah, you did a picture of her in the in the yeah. What happened? I spent like two days in Miami with her, and she's she's kind of amazing, but she was going through quite a difficult time mentally. Oh really? And um, I kind of thought she was in recovery from drinking i was told she didn't drink but that wasn't actually true and the next thing i know we were like 
salsa dancing in South Beach. And she was, she dragged me down the street running. She made me put her shoes on. Then we went to a shop and she like made me put these massive stripper heels on that she wanted to buy me. And I was just like, it was very bizarre. Oh, wow. And then I went home to my, I know then I've spent the entire evening puking in my hotel room because I'd had so many cocktails. And then I had to, I'd left all my equipment in her house. I had to go back the next day. Oh my God. But so, you was, this was all because you were supposed to be photographing her. Oh no, I'd already photographed oh, you'd already her. Done but it. normally, you know, you go and photograph someone and then... Um, you know, then you just leave again. So that's what I was... So I flew to Miami with the journalist and then I thought... We went to her house and we hung out for a bit and I took her pictures. And then the her, like, manager, whoever, was like, oh, no, stay, we're all going out for dinner. So we went out for dinner. It just basically... on. It was just very full-on drinking, smoking, yeah. like, yeah. That's very rock and roll. But it's quite <laughs> nice to get invited along for the ride. I always think that's quite fun. Um, that reminds me of someone else had a similar experience and I can't remember who the artist was but it was another f female photographer and it was another female artist and they ended up you know basically partying oh well that's, that's an, an, a non-anecdote since I can't remember who it was right <laughs> what were you, um, who commissioned you to do Cat Power I then? was the observer right it was at the time where she'd split up with the Rabitzi guy right I wouldn't have a clue oh, about any of it but she was dating that actor who's a Scientologist oh god and there's, then he, there's the mistake right there yeah and then they'd split they were living in LA together and then they'd split up and he'd married Agnes Dean like a month later right the model like the model yeah. yeah anyway and so she was obviously having a difficult and time did she have a did she have a public drinking problem then that was known um I think she's had problems like over the years yeah. of that kind of thing but it was funny because when I was on the plane with the journalist her questions were all like do you miss drinking and all this stuff and then oh we got God. there and they were like lining up tequila slammers <laughs> at like four o'clock and I was like I was like thinking you've just got to like like I don't really drink right and so I was like it's one of those situations it's like you just have to like join in or yeah. you're gonna have like the worst time ever yeah yeah you're gonna be the 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 outside yeah. of it so yeah so I remember like wandering around after the night I was wandering around stumbling through South Beach trying to find my hotel <laughs> it was really like and then I remember like, she, like where are my was, cameras yeah no but I mean yeah exactly anyway well you, yeah but you yeah but you did the job were they pleased with that it was a nice shot yeah I mean like that's a good example of someone that understands the process and is more willing to like make an interesting picture with you not just want to look beautiful or like oh, are you going to shoot in black and white yeah which people say or just be a massive pain in the yeah, ass yeah or be a massive pain in the ass which is like you kind of like it's definitely to do with like I mean what Harry always says um Harry Borden Harry Borden uh, it's about the relationship you had with the person on that day. That's his big line. But yeah. it is definitely true, like, how you kind of interact with someone. And you really learn on this job as well how to talk to strangers. Mm. Like, I've talked to so many... I had so many random conversations with random people. Like, yeah. I'm never phased by it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you were talking about your... You, you did a project, um, um, Five Inches of Limbo. Yeah. Which was... Um, well, you can explain what it was. Well, so I, um, I, w I used to go to, when I lived in New York, I um, would go to the Chelsea flea market every weekend, um, which used to be in these parking garages, not anymore, but it's a great flea market. And uh, I bought this weird doll for like $6 and it had a fur coat and like red goggles. 
And I, I, I don't really even like dolls particularly, but um, I just thought it was a weird doll. And then it was just on my shelf. And then one day I looked at it and I thought, oh, it looks a bit like my Aunt Yolanda who lives in New York. And then I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I got, I took a picture of the doll and then took a picture of her. And then that's sort of how it began. But obviously then I had to like work out how I was going to do it because I didn't know loads of people that looked like dolls. So right. then I began finding strangers. Yeah. And well, I had to find the, the dolls as well. So I'd find the doll, like I'd buy a doll on eBay or in a junk shop and then yeah and then I just stop people in the street and then I'd explain to them um I'd say can I email you about the project because it sounds really like shit if you say I'm doing like a shoot about dolls and it like sounds really cliche yeah so I just email them the first image that I shot and say this is the idea and it's going to be this Okay, right. So you're not trying to you're not trying to sort of sell it to them there and then in a way. You're just sort of making the introduction. And yeah. So I, was just, I was going to ask you about your your sort of technique as far as uh, approaching strangers goes. Well, it's weird because basically, I really accredit like no. Well, Martin Parr came to our college and gave a talk, and actually it was really helpful about photographing strangers and like, and the thing that he said, which has been very helpful, is to never linger. Yeah. Because it puts people off. Totally. And like, once you realize that, like, even if you, if you just decide, I'm going to go up to that person straight, you just have to do it straight away. Don't overthink it. Yeah. Because the minute you start to like linger and like, you know, like look at them and try and work out whether you've got the confidence, it freaks people out. And then they're just like, why is that person looking at me? So that's my, like now that's my technique. I see someone, I make an instant decision, I go straight up to them. And even if I think, oh, they're not quite right. Like I went up to a lot of people in the doll project and some of them I never even contacted, but I just started a like, you know, some contact Mm. with them that way. Yeah. I mean, it's totally true because not only, first of all, you freak people out. And second of all, you give yourself the time to bottle out. So it's like a double-edged sword. If you, if you, it's the same if you're trying to chat someone up, you know, yeah. if like blokes know this, you know, yeah. if, if you're going to try and chat someone up, you've just, got three yeah. seconds to do it. Otherwise, you're not going to do just it. You own know it. I mean? yeah. You know, you've got to yeah. just, yeah. the three second rule. Exactly. Do it straight away. Yeah. Don't fuck about. Otherwise, you are going to bottle yeah. out. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good, le- it's a good lesson to learn. Definitely. But um, that project got a fair amount of um, attention, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, Basically, I started the project and then I uh, got pregnant in the middle of it. So it took me a while to get the project out. But I started, I did a few and they were like, like they got the first few I did were in like the Vice photo issue. And like they were in the Vice photo show, which got some publicity. But then it kind of like stopped because I didn't, because obviously I had a newborn baby Mm. and I was like, completely exhausted (laughs) and the idea of like going out and approaching strangers with a screaming child was not going to happen so I kind of it wasn't until I I had to like let that bit of my life settle down a bit and then carry and then finish it so Mm. yeah yeah so this was yeah so you were living in New York so what what took you to New York you're you're half American yeah so my mother is from California and my dad's from England and uh I have spent a lot of time in America as a child as well as an adult um and I just I don't know like in 2008 I was um I just was feeling really fed up with London I just I don't know I just was feeling fed up with the work I was making 
and I just thought I need to like make a change like I was just sort of just going out a lot like just not being very productive basically so you were sort of in, stuck in a rut in a way. I felt like I was stuck in a rut. Like I was just hanging out with the same people. I just felt like I needed to like meet some different people and like just have some different experiences. And so I got on a plane and I on my own and I didn't really I didn't really know anyone in New York. I've got some family in New York, um, but I don't have people my age at the time. And uh, so I got on a plane and I I moved into like a women's hostel on the Upper West Side because I didn't want to like just find a flat and live with random strangers. I wanted to have like my own space to like look look at apartments. Right. You needed to give yourself a bit of time to do it properly. Yeah, so this was quite weird because it was almost like it felt a bit like a sort of women's prison. (laughs) How I imagine women's prisons to be. It was like there were like really young girls there that were like, uh, a lot of them were dancers like 17 18 that's parents didn't want them to like go move to new york and be like you know you know they wanted because you're not allowed men the men weren't allowed past the lobby um and then there was some like kind of slightly sad older women like old women that probably couldn't afford like care homes that just lived and paid rent because you got me you got three meals there mm. You know, served in this like basement with these like pumped up guys. It was just a weird, it was a weird experience. Sounds like a good project in itself. Yeah, I mean. You didn't think about. I don't think it was a good project for me. Mm. Like, I think it's a good project for somebody. But So you sort of share a dorm or something, do you? No, no, I had my own room. Wow, that sounds pretty cushy. Yeah, like it was, uh, I had my room, like it was weird, but really basic. Like, like stunk of cigarettes, like ceiling fat no no ac mm. which in new york summer is like when i first got there i was like i couldn't like it was september which was quite late i thought it would have cooled down but it was like i just remember lying on my bed with the ceiling fan on it's just like and I, my aunt gave me like a tiny little black and white television like a miniature one they used to just sit in my room and watch that no wi-fi nothing like that no. it was basic yeah yeah but but you know i mean in terms of the intention which was to sort of almost i guess kind of jumpstart your creativity yeah um what impact did it have going there it was amazing it was the best thing i ever did for sure and like it was really it really changed my life like totally can you kind can, can of expand on that a bit i just started to like just think much more about my work and the work that i liked and the work that i wanted to make and um i just started taking pictures that weren't like I think because I worked for Harry Borden, I um, got quite, it was amazing and he's been a good friend and mentor, but I think it got me slightly um, sidetracked into the work that I wanted to make myself because I think, oh, I must be a portrait photographer and actually I was I was kind of interested in something slightly different. Right. Okay. Um, so you assisted Harry. Yeah. And uh, and obviously him being a portrait photographer, yeah. that's that's what you sort of became steeped yeah. in. But did you kind of know from the start that in a way, in your heart of hearts, that that wasn't going to be I you? Mean, I think I just thought how this is how this is what you do because basically I met Harry when I was seventeen. So I was doing my A level photography. So I started working for him then. Mm. So you were um, very young. Yeah, I was very young and. You know, I'd never even seen a medium format camera or anything at that point. I was just, you know, I, like, I remember I was so nervous and like the first job we drove in to Yorkshire to photograph Jeffrey Boycott and the car broke down. It was like pissing with rain and like 
you know, and I had lots of really amazing, funny, weird experiences with him. But I think that that's just what I learned. That's just how I thought I'd have to go on. It wasn't actually, when I went to college, I wasn't really making, I was making more like the work I make now. Mm. So I think it kind of set me off slightly. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think he uh, saw in you as a as a potential for an assistant? Because, you know, at 17, he might, he must have seen something. Has he ever, you know, articulated that to you? I guess it's not I for mean, you to say. It was hard because I was, you know, 17. So I just started taking pictures. Yeah. Um, it must have been something. And I mean, I think that he just, we just got on. I think it's it's also to do with like, I mean, it's it's basic in terms of like an assistant. You're going to be in a car with them sometimes for like four hours. Yeah, yeah, You've got yeah. to have stuff to talk about. Yeah, that's and true. I, that's you know, as much, you know, as yeah, important as more than everything anything. Else. Like, yeah. you know, and I think that he 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 did like my pictures. Like he always says now, like he still remembers the pictures I first showed him. Mm, that's great. I'd taken these pictures of my sister and two of my friends in the bath, and they were wearing matching wigs. It sounds so terrible now, <laughs> um, but you know, I was young and experimenting, whatever. Yeah, but, of course. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it it normally comes down to the fact that if you just get on with someone. Yeah, of course. And like, we just, uh, yeah, it was just, it was fun. Like, what, what did you learn from him at that stage? Well, I think that Harry has got, um, he's he's got a real confidence, which is like, he really goes into every situation believing that he's just as talented as a photographer, however famous this other person is that he's an equal right and i think that that's a good experience to learn from because it's very hard to put yourself in that like because you think oh like you know i just have to and it is it's intense because you're commissioned by someone you have to get a shot so you are kind of at the mercy of this person as well mm. yeah 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 but because he's, yeah yeah because you're you know your you, your responsibility is to the to the publication to the, the publication that commissioned you so if the person's a complete arsehole yeah. or something you can't just tell them to Go fuck themselves. I mean, I have come close to wanting to do that. Yeah, I think we all have, <laughs> and I, I would certainly do it. I would do it without hesitation now. Yeah, I, I just feel like that too. I just like, don't care. I know. But at the same time, you know, if you, that's not very professional, if you do do that, not that I don't think. I mean, you know, I've, I've interviewed Harry. He's, he's been on the podcast, uh, and people can go go and find that if they haven't listened to it. It's, it's a really good interview, I think. Oh no, I shouldn't say it that way. But it, and, and Harry was brilliant, and, and we did it over two parts. But um, yeah, I think for the most part, people are really professional and 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 they get into it but i think i can see what why he would need to take that attitude because yeah it's too easy to you know if you put people on a pedestal and you and you get kind of nervous at the fact that they're super famous then how are you going to operate you know it's going to be difficult isn't it i mean it is like those situations are majorly intense and like you do get very often like adrenaline kicks in and you manage to like you know but I think more the thing with photographing famous people is very often you go into a room and there's like 30 people like eating salads and you have no idea what they're doing, but everyone's listening to every word you say. Right. There's and an entourage. Yeah, there's an entourage and you have to like, you have to somehow command that person to do what you want. And I think that can be quite intense. And I think like I definitely was in that situation a lot with Harry. So yeah, you've, learned, got, you've got to tune all that other bullshit out. You have to tune it out and it's. And you also have to completely concentrate and be really focused. It's mm. mentally very exhausting as well. Yeah, so you learn how to do that. So yeah. really you learn, learn how to deal with some very sort of situations which 
you know you, you don't really get into until you've got a bit of experience because they don't they don't send you to photograph some a-list no you know, i mean celeb, not at, all. Uh, at an early stage no definitely not like you know and with harry you know he's photographed loads and loads of very famous people mm. um and yeah I, just, I, I must admit, I've had the, I have had the opposite experience many times. Though, where where you just literally go and meet someone, they're on their own. There's no publicist. There's no no one. Yeah, you know, that's they, the they, ideal they, they situation. They haven't brushed their hair. Yeah, like you know, I'm like talking about act, famous, quite well known. Yeah. But, and it's kind of nice when it's that way. You know, there's no pretense. But that's never a list kind of Hollywood people. That's always like no, yeah. You know, British stage actors and you know people who are really really good but there's a kind of lack of pretension in that world because it's i guess they just haven't reached that level where like they have to be so kind of not when it gets you know when it gets crazy yeah Yeah. it gets like like you say a room full of people and four publicists i mean it's just the worst like i remember photographing usher in new york at like uh robert de niro's hotel and like yeah there's just this girl just kept like brushing his trousers down and like like it's just all this like and everyone was listening to everything i was saying and it was just it was horrible Mm. you know the thing i always think about that is that it must be just exhausting for the person like to to have that constantly you know to to always be around these people whether almost whether you like it or not i mean i just think don't they just get knackered don't they just get kind of psychologically exhausted by that level of attention i think they become like sort of childlike and they just get used to like having their own way and people do yeah i just find that part of photo i mean photographing people so like exhausting like also in terms of like i'm always trying to get uh put some of my own stuff into photographs and it's sometimes harder when there's another layer another element Mm. people think like like, i don't want to just photograph someone in a hotel i find that so boring like so if i do have to do shoots like that i would bring props or try and like maneuver it in a way like but that's from sort of just always thinking now that i have to get something of my for myself out of it right right my own work well this is that thing of trying to kind of surf that that difficult line between doing stuff you know for a living and doing your own yeah. thing and then trying to you know bring those two things together in as much as you can yeah I but, mean, sorry no go on well i was just gonna like i just photographed a noni you know a noni who used to be anthony and the johnsons oh yeah yeah and who's now uh, goes by a noni okay um and she like is very tricky to photograph mm. and i did like quite a lot of research before the shoot always actually wanted to photograph her and i didn't uh, even know that he was now her yeah so he's kind of transitioned yeah so now it's she's a she yeah um and it's funny like that was a real example of like i really took control like i kind of i've always yeah i've always thought it would be amazing to photograph her so i um you know like i saw that there's all the she doesn't have pictures of her body now so like I basically just took this pic I I got some paint and I put paint on my face and I put the paint on like this sort of weird leatherette and I cut a weird hole out of it that was a bit like a face shape and I shot her through that but I'm just saying like she was quite tricky like very specific about the pictures like very quite controlling in terms of how it was done and I was 
in that sense really lucky that I'd really made a plan because if it had just been a case of like ter- her turning up at the studio and me having wanting to do like natural shots it mm. would have been a complete disaster but so she knew going in what you were planning no to, oh she didn't so you had no. to explain it i had to explain it but it was because i'd looked at lots of pictures of her before and i realized there was a reason why she wasn't photographed recently full you know like full, full body, body yeah. yeah and like actually then i went to see her at the barbican and like she wore a black hood over her head the entire gig you didn't see her face once wow so i was like i kind of understood it but i guess at least at least she was up for something you know i guess someone with that kind of artistic temperament is probably more likely to go oh yeah okay i'm up for well it. yeah but it was like that but it was like tenfold because it was like everything was questioned why are we doing this that doesn't work that you know so it was like it was almost like two people mm. kind of me saying i want to do this and her saying why are we doing this right, i think right. that might be a bit too like this or you know wasn't that exhausting it was quite exhausting yeah, yeah that would just piss and me also off. like i shoot film and as soon as i well i don't always shoot film but i shoot a lot of film and um so i had like film ready and then i hadn't really thought i was going to shoot digital and she said absolutely no no film no film N- no film i need to see she all the pictures see, yeah. afterwards so then <sighs> i shot digital but then eventually she did let me do film when she realized i wasn't like trying to like I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think she warmed to me eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, you stuck it, you know, you stuck with it. That's the thing. Mm. Maybe that's another lesson learned really, you know, that you have to try and manage these these interactions. Yeah, I think you have to think if this is someone I'm interested in photographing, I need to get a good picture for me like my work and I need to work out how I'm going to do that. Right, exactly. Every time because yeah. If you just go and do, like, I find it really hard, like, when I, sometimes I used to do jobs for certain magazines and they'd be really prescriptive and what, oh, and they need to be to the left of the frame and can you light it with flash and all, and that's, like, to me, like, just go and take the picture yourself in a mm. way, you know? Like, yeah. I understand they have to lay text and I, I understand all that, but, like, I think as I've got a bit older, I'm a bit more, like, I need to, I want to photograph people that... I'm interested in. I think that I that me and them will be a good match. Right, right. So let's go back to New York. So you got pregnant. Yes. At what stage was that? <laughs> so I got pregnant in 2012. Um, so you'd been there for how long? I had been there since 2008. Okay, so a long time. Yeah. Um, so were you planning on sort of staying? So I um, I didn't really know. There wasn't a grand plan. I was living in a big sort of loft space that I used to manage and rent rooms out. Um, and I met my boyfriend in New York, but he's English. Um, and yeah, we we took that Zephyr train. You know, the, do you, you know the Zephyr train? No, what's the Zephyr so train? There's, there's a train that goes from Chicago to California. It takes three days. Wow. Okay. Um, and you sleep on the train. It's it's amazing. It's definitely worth doing. But um, you sleep on the train. It doesn't actually stop at play. It stops like for like half an hour. Yeah. But so you, you don't, don't really get off. Get off. But um, anyway, during that train journey, I felt quite unwell. <laughs> And I was really off my, like, I only wanted to eat white bread and stuff like that. And, like, just the whole trip, I was just exhausted. And I just, I really had no idea. And I'm a twin, but, and my sister was actually pregnant at the time. Oh, really? And then when I got back, my sister was like, 
I think you might be pregnant. And I was like, no, like I don't think so. And then, yeah, I was, right. which was a bit of a shock. Right. So, yeah, she had a baby five weeks before me. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Very, quite a strange coincidence. Yeah. It's so, the yeah. whole twin weird thing. No, yeah, it's a coincidence. It's, it's a coincidence, but, you know, you can start seeing it as something it was just very it was just very uh it was odd that we had children at the same time but but obviously so you know so that that was uh yeah so that obviously was not was not something that you planned on on doing so you know i'm just wondering yeah what what was the experience like because because you know it's like you were living in new york um you know you got to negotiate there it was yeah it was it was well i'm lucky in the sense that i have my aunt who lives in the east village who's my mum's half sister and so whenever I'd had like medical things in the past, I just asked her and she's really like has been very generous and helpful to me. Um, she's in my Five Inches of Limbo book, the one with the red goggles. Yeah, Yolanda. So, uh, Yolanda, yeah. Um, she's like a classic East Village character, like one of those, you know, her and her husband are like, you know. Anyway, so I emailed her about five o'clock in the morning <laughs> and said um i wonder if you can help me i'm actually pregnant and i don't know what to do so she sort of helped me with all the medical stuff because obviously i didn't have health insurance that was difficult um and so yeah she kind of uh, so uh, she's sorted out me going to this hospital in the east village where he was then born um and yeah, so I was kind of lucky. But what what is good about being in New York and having a baby is that it feels like you're in an episode of ER the entire time. <laughs> so it felt like a weird dream because like, I have to say, I went with my friend the other day to Homerton because she's having a baby. And I was just like, oh my God, like... Yeah, this isn't ER anymore. No, <laughs> like it's like in New York, like every time you go to the hospital, it's just kind of, it's funny. Like it's kind of a... It's a little, a little adventure. But generally speaking, you're paying a lot of money for it, I suppose. Yeah, no, I didn't. No. We had, we, I basically at the time, I qualified for Medicaid. Right, right. So, um, yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. What were you doing in terms of work? Were you doing, were you getting was, commissioned? Yeah, no, I was. I was doing uh, commissions, portraits, working for magazines, yeah. Mm. And I, I um, lived in a shared apartment, so I didn't have massive expenses, Um Right, right. And yeah, no, I was working. Things were going, things were sort of like, I felt like 2012 things were sort of starting to move a bit. And then uh, my projects, and then I made another project about mermaids, which Mm. um, in 2012 as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. That kind of shows your versatility in a way, because that is a kind of quite documentary in its approach. It's quite documentary, but it, it is, but it also fits into what I'm interested in because you know what I was saying earlier about things that are a bit fake and a bit real. Yeah. So these are like, although it's fake, these are like real life professional mermaids. So explain to us what it is for people so who haven't seen it. I was sitting in my room in New York and I looked, I was looking at pictures of the New York Mermaid Parade, which is a parade that happens in Coney Island. And I, for some reason, was reading an interview with someone that makes mermaid tales. And they said that they grew up next to the Wikiwachi Spring. So I just Googled it. Um, and yeah, and I was like, oh, I want to go here. And so I just wrote them an email. And then the guy got back to me straight away and said, yeah, when do you want to come? So I said, February, because I thought it'd be quiet time to go. So I just went, it's near Tampa. And it's like... 
yeah, we just stayed in a motel and then I just hung out with the mermaids for about four days. But the one stipulation was that they couldn't be seen in the main bit of the park without their tails on. But obviously they can't walk with their tails on. So, um, yeah, it was really a, a good experience. Mm. What interested you about that? Um, again, it's like the, 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 the idea of this kind of like slightly decrepit fantasy mm. and uh, interests me. I like things that are like quite sort of a bit of fantasy, but a little bit broken. Right, right. And the wiki-wachy kind of is because it's sort of like it's been open since the 1940s i think and um, so it's a kind of um attractor you know attraction yeah, like a yeah. family day out it's kind a tourist of thing. attraction That's and it right. was it was started it was started by a navy se- an ex-navy seal who um basically invented this kind of breathing it's a natural spring and it has manatees and turtles swimming in it Wow, yeah. sounds quite nice. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And then this guy basically built a very small theatre into the sort of like the side of the spring. So you're sort of looking into the spring and the water's naturally warm. And he built these, he he basically built this kind of breathing apparatus. apparatus that. So rather than, they don't wear tanks, they have these tubes that are on the bed of the s- spring and they pick them up when they need to breathe. And right. originally they didn't wear mermaid tails, they just swam. They did like synchronized swimming in the water. In like the 90s, it sort of fell into disrepair and was going to close down and all the mermaids got together and met, had a big campaign to save it. And then it was taken over by the national parks. Right. So it's kind of a funny place because, um, you know, I was there obviously in February, but like it's kind of the it's basically people and their families and slightly pervy men that like the idea of mermaids right. going there. So it's very odd. Yeah, it's sort of in a very American kind of a way. That's slightly, like you say, kind of decrepit. Yeah. Fantasy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very good I way like. of describing it. Yeah. I mean, that's a theme that pops up in my work quite a lot. Yeah. So it kind of does fit, really. And you've done a bit of collaboration, haven't you, with various yeah. people? How's that? How are those things come about? I mean, I think it's um, Julie Verhoeven's one of the people that. Yeah, you've... I mean, Julie is like someone who's interested me for a long time. She's an artist in her own She's right. She's an she? artist, yeah. Because I don't know who she is, but I've seen the, the so work. And she... People can go to your website and have a look at this. Yeah, work. I mean, she's kind of amazing. She um, used to be. Well, no, she's an illustrator as well and an artist, and she used to work for like John Galliano she's quite big in fashion um and then now she does like like she just did something at freeze last year with the toilet attendant where she dressed as the toilet attendant and right. she did all the toilet it was amazing right. anyway she i just contacted her because i liked her and we've been doing this kind of ongoing project together which i hope we're going to do another one this year we're just we'll, we just take pictures together because mm. she's kind of into like the whole like we don't really have an agenda we just go and experiment with like we i'll go to a studio i'll go to a house and um we just make funny pictures together mm. so yeah so kind of nice to have uh, someone to kind of bounce things off but that's what i mean i i enjoy it like uh, that's what i'm saying is like that's my ideal situation when i photograph anyone that they're kind of into the whole idea of playing around and making an interesting picture Mm. and yeah like i met her and i it's funny because i thought she'd be really like loud and like just because of the way she dresses and actually she's not like that at all she's quite she's quite quietly spoken and she's been really like 
really like helpful to me as well mm. um and i've met some people through her like take pictures with as well um yeah so it, and i think because when i was doing my doll project this margaret atwood poem is in the book yeah and i had to like that's where the title comes from yeah that's where the title comes from five, five inches in, of yeah number. it's a just it's a description of a doll which is um uh which the poem is an amazing poem it's called five poems for dolls. it's five poems actually five poems for dolls and i found the poem and i loved it and then i was like i'd love to use this in my book and then one of my friends was like oh you should just write to her and see if she'll let you and i thought yeah as if like anyway so i wrote her a physical letter and i and i made some prints of my pictures and i sent it to her publisher in canada and at first i got a reply saying no and then they replied a bit later and said, no, we've actually asked Margaret. And she said, that's fine. You just have to seek permissions from the various publishers. Ah, so they said no on her behalf yeah, without actually asking Yeah, they said no on her behalf, her. exactly. That's, a, that's yeah. an interesting, because yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, there's a whole kind of maxim, which is you should, you should never take a no from someone who doesn't have the power to say yes, you know. So it's interesting that they even decided that they had the kind of right to say that but i guess she was i guess she's just very busy i mean yeah, yeah. totally like i mean they probably get weird but you know the thing is that's why i thought i'd write her a physical letter because i just thought email's so easy to ignore oh god yeah and uh like you know so i just thought if if you're like sending actual prints anyway and like um but what i was going to say from that i was i went off on a tangent um is that I learned that like it's just good to ask people and like they may say no or they may never reply to you and that's how I sort of met Julie is I just emailed her out of the blue I said I'm a photographer I'd love to make some pictures with you and she said and then she wrote back and said oh, I like your pictures come meet come to my studio and so we had a cup of tea and we chatted and ate penguins and um <laughs> penguin biscuits not yeah, actual penguins no penguin biscuits which I thought was like you know um and uh yeah and then since then like you know yeah we've and we know each other a bit socially like yeah but i think you're right i think that that the the, the takeaway there is that you, you know you, if you don't ask the answer is always going to be no exactly kind of thing. and like i think you just you do get you have to be able to take rejection and i'm sure i've written to people that I've never written back. Mm. But in yeah. my mind, I just, I forget that I've even done it. Yeah, yeah. And, and completely remove your ego from the whole equation. Yeah. Take, don't take it personally. But just, you know, there's a million reasons why someone, you know, might not get back to you and people are inundated. Both, I know. Both I mean, it is. But, it, you know, yeah. you, you've got to give it a pun. It's the same as doing this. I, I you know, I, I email photographers and ask them if they'll talk to me, you know. So yeah. Mostly they, they, they will. Yeah. And uh, everyone yeah, loves knew? talking about themselves. I mean, it's everyone's favourite subject. More or less. <laughs> More or less everyone. That's what you learned in portrait photography. Yeah. If you want to make conversation with someone, ask them about themselves yeah, yeah. because they always want to talk. That's like, a good point. Yeah. yeah. You quite often make books out of your projects as well in yeah, sort of I mean, limited edition. Yeah. I mean, um, I just thing. do like, I haven't, I mean, I've done three publications. I made a book last year with um, this set designer called Sarah May. Is that the cut cuttings book? Yeah. yeah. So we, um, we've known each other for a long time and we'd made lots of like little experimental pictures and we didn't really know what to do with them. So we, um, 
uh yeah i was like we should just do a book and like i just wanted because my other book i'd worked with a really good graphic designer but it all been like very sort of proper i just thought you know what i want to just do something that's completely i'm going to do it myself i'm not going to like because i don't know the rules of graphic design it's it was quite liberating so i just did whatever i wanted right you didn't worry about it? No, like, and we got, like, um, G.F. Smith, the paper company, sponsored the book. So, and they were really amazing. So, what do you mean? They put the money up? They printed it. Right. Yeah. So, we um, we just pitched it to them because we were, like, because doing a book and printing it is just insanely expensive. Yeah, of course. And, um, anyway, and then, yeah, like, I just laid it out myself. It was just, we were just, like, we're going to, like, it come, each book comes with, like, a sticker pack like we just were like we're gonna make like a non like it's gonna have collage and you know it's just gonna be a book of like experimental things that's another example of how just you know you've got to ask people i mean who think a paper company would even agree to something well i mean i think because the thing is gf smith are very like they they support quite a lot of creative projects Mm. they're very smart like that because i mean really there's the only paper company i've ever heard of because of that because i know that they're and sarah had done a talk with them about color and so i was like we should just approach them but they were amazing like they invited us down to hull to see it being printed and they put on like a big lunch for us and picked us up from the station yeah. and it was like it right. was cool it's like a really old family company yeah. and they gave us a tour of hull it was great um but anyway i'm going off again what was what were we talking about before um well, just the fact that you make books and, and yeah, Cuttings Project. Yeah, I mean, I... Cuttings book, I mean. Cu- it's called The Cuttings Book. I mean, we just needed to come up with a title, so mm. that's what we call because it's kind of like we meant like press cutting. But again, it's, it's very much a kind of art art project. I mean, it's obviously there's photography, but it's sort of yeah, I mean, incidental I'm, in a way. Yeah, I mean, I really love photography. Photography is my first love more than anything. Like, I think I'll always make photographic-based work. Mm. Um, did you d- do photography at, at yeah, art went college? Yeah, to Brighton. Mark Power s- was my tutor, actually. Oh, was he? Yeah. I spoke to him. I know. Well, like, that's what recently. I was saying. Yeah. He was your tutor. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, he wasn't like to be honest. He wasn't there that much because no. it was at the time when he was. I think he might have just joined Magnum or whatever. Right. But um, yeah, he was at. And yeah. before, but before that, you went to Central St Martins, yeah. which is a f- art college here in London. Yeah. What, but that was what some kind of foundation. Yeah, so I did foundation, but at that point, I already knew I went. Like, I'm one of those really annoying people that basically knew what they wanted to do like very early on, which was photography. Yeah, well, I knew. I mean, this is going to sound so pretentious, but even when I was a kid, I used to say, "I want to go to St Martins." Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i mean that is ridiculous you had a sense of yourself as an artistic person or, or yeah so when did the when did you discover photography then what, so i my dad bought me a um a developing tank when i was about 15 mm. and from then on i knew that i wanted to be a photographer so i had a little dark room in my parents cellar and my dad was kind of like into my dad's a bit of a like he was always like he had a dark room in his bedroom as a child. What did he do? And well, he was just like I don't know, some businessman. But he's always <laughs> got like weird collections of things, and like he's kind of like like he was always like he collects these weird clocks now, and he does them up. And when I was a kid, he used to collect singer this certain singer sewing machine. So we had a house full of singer sewing machines. Anyway, so he yeah he was like oh. Um, yeah, he bought me a developing tank and then I, yeah, and then I just really just love, I loved the process of developing and, 
yeah and then so then I did a level photography which I absolutely loved and I just knew from then on that's what I wanted to do so mm. but I knew I've always known that I wanted to do something artistic it's just that was what I chose but I yeah yeah so then when it came to so then you went to Brighton and, and did a degree yeah so in photography was it uh, yeah in and at the time it was called editorial photography I think it's just photography now right and I um well basically because I was working for Harry I wanted to keep maintain my job in London yeah and so I you'd already you were already doing the assisting that yeah point. and I didn't want to be a student in London because I grew up in London and I found I thought it would be nice to be somewhere that had more of a like I don't know like I think London's so spread out to be a student here even though it's got some great art colleges so yeah I decided to go to Brighton who were you into at that point for photography wise who were you discovering as kind of influences well it was quite weird because when I went to my interview at Brighton I actually came back and cried because like I remember I was really into this Japanese photographer called Hiramex do you remember at the time what kind of thing? Um, she sort of like took, I mean, I don't really like it so much now, but at the time I, they'd asked me that question and I said, oh, hero mix. And they were like really slated. Her. She kind of takes like, they're kind of a bit documentary snaps of her in the mirror kind of stuff that I was into at the time. But um, yeah, no, I like, I had, I, I shouldn't name who I had in my interview, but anyway, had two photographers in my interview, and yeah, I came back and cried. I was so well. They they made it. They, they <laughs> I felt like they really destroyed me in the Be- interview because they slagged off the person that you they said you just, liked. They were like very harsh in the interview, and like, and I I didn't. I thought, oh, I've never. Anyway, I got in, but I got into Glasgow as well, and I kind of wish I'd gone to Glasgow now. But I was a bit like wanting to keep my job in London because, yeah, of course. But that surely that would make that would make sense. I mean, you would have had to, yeah. Quit um, assisting. Uh, yeah, and no, it was a bit cold in Glasgow. But I, yeah. Um, I, yeah, like I could have, I don't know. I think it, I would have liked to have done that maybe. I mean, if I'd had my time again, I don't know if I would have gone to Brighton mm. because I found it, the course at the time, I think it's changed quite a lot now. Um, but when I was there, it was very geared towards kind of big, large format. Oh no, yeah, large format pictures of lands, slightly bleak looking landscapes. And there were lots of people, lots of the tutors making work like that, um, which I can appreciate, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Right. And yeah, I just, I think it was at a weird transitional point in that course. And like I, I had Judith Katz as my tutor, which was actually really lucky. And I think she's actually head of the course now. Right. But she's like quite experimental. Mm. She's like a New Yorker, like, and she was, I, I felt lucky to have her because there was a few other tutors that I think weren't. Yeah. Well, did you feel like a bit of an outside, kind of outlier in the sense that you were, your interest wasn't, was not, you know, in, in line with other people on the course or the thing that they I did I felt like I felt yeah I felt there was lots of people taking like quite like like I wanted to like make sort of like slightly like fantasy pictures and I felt like that wasn't really on the course You're, also there's a kind of thing of with objects for you I think yeah How, you know what tell me about that a little bit well I mean I'm basically I mean I collect lots of things. Like it sometimes oh, starts with an object. And yeah, then that kind definitely. Of like I'm, I love. I always go to flea markets. I go to charity shop. Like I just got that full skeleton in the charity shop for three pounds with all its guts. Can you see? Uh, yeah, I can. <laughs> it's great. 
and uh, yeah, it's not, it's not quite actual size, but it's, no. It's, <laughs> um, I just bought it the other. I haven't quite put it together properly yet, but like it's a bit scary, I know. But I was just like, I've got to get that. Come on. Yeah. Why would um, you not want a skeleton? Yeah. But I used to go to yeah flea markets a lot. And this is this is sometimes for you a kind of jumping off point yeah, for an idea. Definitely. Like that's where I probably get most of my inspiration is going shopping. <laughs> That sounds terrible, but like, because I'm quite, I'm a bit of an art director in terms of how I style my work. So like, yeah, like that is, it's very, the objects are very important. Mm. I mean, I was thinking, thinking about kind of the challenge for photographers like you, which is that, you know, you have to try and obviously earn a living and as we all do, and it's difficult for everyone, but as a kind of, as someone who's on the art side of things you have i think managed a few times to you know find commissions which are very kind of appropriate to the sort of yeah. work you do but that, mean, that must be really uh, yeah difficult. it's hard just sometimes you know like i think some people commissioning they really get your work and that's just a really great balance when that happens i mean it doesn't happen that often but when it does um, that's ideal, mm. but yeah. It's people, I guess you, you know, I guess it, there's that whole thing of getting pigeonholed, which I guess is, you know, we all we yeah. all are in some to some extent, and it's really hard to break out of of that. I mean, you, you obviously, you know, you you can certainly be a, an editorial portrait photographer, <clears throat> yeah. But at the same time, if you go to your website, the, the artist, the art stuff is kind of more dominant in a way. I mean, yeah, no, I mean just, definitely in there you were before we start recording you were talking about um agents and yeah. you made some interesting observations because you're looking to get an agent yeah um what have you found you know that process to be like um it's i mean it's hard because like but i think what i was telling you before we started recording was that there's a real shift happening in commercial photography which has come about with the whole digital thing because now everyone's got a 5d everyone can put it on a shallow depth of field and take a nice portrait of someone so actually what it's meant is that concepts are back which is great because that's more like what i'm interested in like Mm. i find like a lot of fashion photography and stuff really dull so now like it's kind of more interesting people are coming out of the woodwork that have lots of ideas like charlie engman do you know him no He's a fashion photographer, a New York fashion photographer. Um, so you think that agents maybe are, are more concerned with, you know, kind of personal work than what you've done commercially? Definitely. Like, because now uh, agents are selling, well, not all agents, obviously there are still commercial agents for commercial things, but they're selling advertising agencies the idea that they could commission an artist to shoot their campaign. So in a way, it's it's a much more interesting tact because photography has become so accessible. Like people can shoot, you know, like think about all those iPhone adverts that are just shot on an iPhone of people from, you know. So I think that that is the only way to survive as an agency really is to sell sell artists. Yeah, yeah. That that, that you know your 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 client your client. Or your photographers um have their are bringing their own kind of thing to it rather than just being kind of professional yeah. photographers because like you say you know anyone can those kind of commercial images that you know used to be kind of 
very much dominant yeah um, you know anyone can shoot those now i mean now it's like you could shoot a picture on an iphone it could be retouched and look probably really good so yeah, very good yeah. it's like uh you know it's kind of who cares yeah. kind of thing yeah it? so now but, you have to bring something else to the table mm. which is i i find quite good like a, a good situation because that's more what i'm interested in as a photographer like i'm you know i like my pictures to have mood and everything but like my pictures aren't just about mood they're about ideas about direction you know like directing like the all the you know the props and everything and i yeah so for me it's like a good thing mm. but yeah it's also yeah like agents are very concerned with what personal work you're working on or you know there's a real pressure to be creative all the time which i think is good and exciting and there's loads of really exciting photographers coming out now in like there's lots of yeah like interesting stuff mm. happening commercially which there hasn't been for a long time yeah i think it's a good i think it's a good thing definitely yeah i know i do like i think it's a relief because i think there's for ages there was this real look of like really like high-end kind of shots of like really overly retouched like and it was just like yeah 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 and like now it's like it doesn't have to be like that you know which yeah is, exactly and the kind of lifestyle stuff which yeah you know i've done a bit of that yeah. and, and you know it's, it's fantastic yeah because they pay you lots of money yeah. and but you realize you really you're really not doing you're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing yeah. in a way you know even if you're bringing a kind of documentary aesthetic yeah. to it you know any anyone can do that now but i feel good because i feel like i've always just get kept my like slightly grimy like not you know like look mm. and um and now that's kind of although once something comes in it goes out again but like now like things are looking less kind of slick which is always the look i've preferred i don't like really slick photographs right. i find them really boring and bland so it might actually for once be an advantage to be yeah <laughs> a, a, a kind of artist yeah. with your, your own kind of aesthetic yeah i mean i think it's yeah i definitely think there's like like i've been working with these guys that i met on instagram right tell me about that um so i mean i just this is what this is how amazing i love instagram i do i love and i hate it but um I met these, I followed this guy on Instagram that I liked his work and then eventually I just wrote him an Instagram message and he lives with his boyfriend, James, they're called Luke and Jack, they, they, they are called Rotting Dean Bazaar, it's like their, um, anyway, it's completely random, other than Julie Verhoeven used to be their tutor at St. Martin's. Oh really, so another coincidence. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of coincidental. So it's at Rotting Dean Bazaar. They're called Rotting Dean Bazaar. Yeah. And they're basically, they graduated from St. Martin's MA and uh, James was working for Kanye West in LA, working for his label because um, Kanye came to their degree show and took a few students to LA. Anyway, so then, well, then they've moved to, they live in Rottingdean now and they make like weird, interesting things. But why I like Where the them, hell is Rottingdean? It's near Brighton. Oh, okay. And um, well, they were studying fashion, um, both of them. And yeah, they're just doing like, they're just really interesting. And like, why I like working with them is because they work in a similar way to me. Like, But again, you know, there's the to do with you, you know, you approach them and you, you found them on Instagram. And I suppose, yeah. you know, the, this is the way in which social media can make people yeah, totally. more, more accessible. Oh, totally. Um, 
so you're you're a fan, but you you're not on Facebook and you're not on Twitter and you yeah. And I was wondering why you know if you left Facebook just because it's just. Do you, you know, know why? Because I just was sick of looking at like pictures of cats. like no not cats like suddenly I'd spend like half an hour and I'd be looking at pictures of like some random strangers holiday snaps to Turks and Chicos or whatever yeah. that island and I'm like what am I doing I like, and like not only not yeah, only am yeah. I wasting my life yeah. And, yeah so you I was to- like do you know what I just don't like that's what Facebook became for me mm. like what was funny is that when my child was born, I didn't put it on Facebook and everyone thought that some big disaster had happened because right. I didn't make a big was social weird. media announcement. That's become the expectation. Yeah, that's become the expectation. And it's funny, like my friend recently had a baby and because I'm not on Facebook, I didn't know. You know right, that it happened. Yeah, and the reason I'm not on Twitter, I mean, I am on, I have a Twitter thing, but I never, ever tweet yeah. and I basically just keep it because, but then there's another Annie Collins, oh, here's another story about the other Annie Collins. <laughs> so there is another Annie Collins who's in like Lancashire and a couple of years ago, she and her friend dressed up as the Twin Towers and went to a fancy oh, yeah. dress uh, I came across that in, yeah. <laughs> in the course of my research. Yeah, Annie. so basically yeah. they went to a fancy dress party and they dressed as the Twin Towers and it basically went viral mm. and they got loads of... Um, so I was in New York at the time when this happened. Anyway, so I woke up, this is when I was still on Facebook, with a barrage of abusive messages on my Facebook right. from people going, you and your friend Emma, you suck, and like all this kind of stuff. And I was like, what? And then I realized what so happened. you got an insight into what it must be like <laughs> yeah. to be the, the victim of a kind of uh a, a social media kind of hate yeah campaign. i mean it was really bizarre and like i know and then so people were sort of like sending me abusive messages and then i think that but what was weird is that me and this girl like i think when i, I had a myspace account she used to follow me on myspace or whatever and we were myspace friends so i so I'm, i was aware of her already Anyway, so, but she's Annie Collins on Twitter. So I'm Annie Collins one, which is a little bit much. It's not great to have Annie. Oh, I should change that to something else. But anyway, um, so I, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't really look Mm. at Twitter. But you stick with Instagram. I love Instagram because I love looking at photographs. And that is my real passion. And yeah, so it's like this constant feed of images. And I also find like, on Instagram, people don't just post like I mean they do, but like post showy off pictures of mm. like them but by the pool. Do you actively pursue you know adding followers to no. to no? And and have you had any concrete examples of you know people just finding out about you as a result of you being on there on Instagram? Yeah. Yes, no, okay. definitely. Like Kessel's Kramer, I did this project with Kessel's Kramer last year, or the year before. Um, and they yeah found it on Instagram. Right, right. So yeah, definitely. So that is a is a way to get your work yeah, out. Yeah, like I feel like I've connected with a lot more people that I really love, like mm. other people's work or people that I couldn't that was not very approachable to me. Mm. Interesting, um, isn't it? You know that. So I I feel that it's definitely been a really great tool, and it sort of has kept me going through having a child. Instagram because it's like you know you're bored, you're pushing your pram around a park. Yeah. you're knackered you know oh god don't. and uh yeah and like and then you can just entertain me. yourself yeah, yeah. <laughs> with looking at pictures or but i do find it a bit sad like when i was saying i went to see cat power last night there's a woman in front of me who was just on instagram through the whole gig oh my messaging, god and she's like just look at the fucking stage she's singing oh. like and it was her, the light from her phone was really annoying that, so. that's extraordinary and 
was that a young person? No, it was like an older woman. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I mean, not to kind of be down on on you know millennials. Yeah. Um, but fucking hell, I, I, know. Mean, I I went to a gig, you know, fairly recently, and the level of phones, yeah, and noise, just noise, and I'm like, it's like people. Yeah. They're, they're there but they're not there it's I like I'm kind, I'm kind of half their attention is taken by I'm like you've paid to see this guy on stage I know. playing your music and you're more interested in, in or sharing you know, it tweeting or, or talking to your mates and yeah. I, I was just like oh my god I know, and I know I'm just being an old git here no no but I feel I mean, the same I was with another it. old git you yeah. know and we were both old gits <laughs> together and I was thinking bloody hell how did it come to this yeah. but you know yeah that, that kind of shocked me I well, feel the same about that because, like, I like I make a conscious effort to put my phone away when I'm out, like, because I feel like I want to experience the world and not like I do look at my phone. Obviously, if I'm in a cafe, but if I'm on a bus or whatever, I really try and force myself to put my phone away because I want to like look outside and look at people's faces and look in windows and see what's actually happening. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And like, yeah. I found like I just went to Japan um, and Korea as well, like at the end of last year. And people were just on the, like, they don't even look like, on, in Korea particularly, people are just like massive phones just to their face. No one's engaged with each other. It's like much worse than here, right. actually. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. I think it's something that we all have to be really aware of. I do. Like, and, I know, try The loss of kind of human contact. Yeah. That we're all kind of experiencing. Yeah. Is something you need to fight against, I think. No, and, definitely. Thank you so much for chatting. We were all over the place. Yeah, sorry. Um, but that's my fault and I don't think it's a problem. I don't care. I mean, but in terms of... There's the, no you know, thread. Yeah, no, but it's yeah. good. And also, I mean, you know, in a way I'm kind of, I'm out of my comfort zone a little bit here. Right. Because, uh, yeah, it's because of the kind of work that you do. Yeah. But I thought, I thought it went all right. Yeah, no. I'm, Thanks, Sam. I enjoyed talking about myself for hours. <laughs> good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. No, thank you for being interested. Not at all. Mate. <laughs>